0: Good morning, everyone. Yeah. Uh, If you're new, welcome uh, to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan, and my wife Sandy and I, we have the honor and joy of leading this church. Uh, So like Jake said, I'm giving one family update, one announcement today. And actually, um, this announcement will flow straight into the teaching. It's all one thing. And, and here's what it is. I'll just say it straight up, right up front. This is a uh, financial update and vision moment for our church. Yeah. It's great. Uh, so that's what's happening today. So as, as many of you know, uh, we are in the book of Jonah on Sundays. The book of Jonah. And I had a pretty great Jonah sermon ready for today. It was going to be awesome. You know, Jonah chapter one. I sent the bones of the sermon to the team on Wednesday so they could look at it. Chapter one of Jonah, you know, the ship, the storm, and then the, the pagan sailors throw Jonah off the boat and he gets eaten by a sea creature. Fun stuff. Um, but now Jonah one will have to wait for next week when Aliyah Pursley, one of our pastors, she's going to preach uh, Jonah one on Mother's Day next week, which will be great. So here's why we're, we're pivoting this past week, the elders of our church, uh, through much prayer and discussion, we, we, it's as one body, as a united elder team, we sense the Spirit leading our church to pivot today and do an intentional Park Hill family financial update with a clear call to give in sermon form. So that's what we're going to do. So. Right away, I want to say, I come to this moment with a heart that's both expectant and sober. I'm genuinely expectant, like really full of, ex- like I'm expecting God to move out of today. He already has out of the 8 a.m. in beautiful ways. I believe God is doing something really special in this church and with our staff, some of, some of which we're going to share with you in the coming weeks what God is doing. And I believe, honestly, I'm expectant because I think I believe, in, I believe in the maturity of this church and, and the kind of generosity that you are capable of as a church family. So I'm excited to see how we grow in this. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm also sober in the sense that you could say, I come to you in earnest today. <laughs> I come in all seriousness because there are some fairly major changes that we're making including two staff roles being laid off in this season in order to adapt to our financial situation and step into the future in a really healthy way as a church. So listen, our leadership team, and uh, not just elders, but we have a board of directors that has some overlap with the elders, but there's some board members that live in Portland that are older, wiser, faithful folks, uh, just godly people who have been through it and are so wise. So our that's our leadership. We're well aware that these are interesting times financially. Google just laid off 10% of their staff, which is an unfathomable amount of people. And you know, Amazon and Facebook both just did the same. This is happening everywhere. I know several churches that are going through way more difficult situations than ours. And so I know these are trying times. So I stand before you equal parts like excitement and seriousness, okay? So here we go. About 18 months to two years ago, we, Park Hill Leadership, decided to budget in, f- in faith for enough staff to really pastor this church well. We've always needed that. Park Hill has always had this problem of having more people than we can pastor. And so coming out of COVID, we saw this need especially, a huge need for people to be cared for and shepherded out of a really strange time. So we budgeted accordingly in faith. The church gave a ton during COVID, and with that surplus, we budgeted in faith, uh, and to really build this church in a healthy way, we added staff, and we've seen a lot of fruit since then, you guys. There's so many mature followers of Jesus in this church, like disproportionately Mature. It's amazing. We just finished Colossians, which is all about maturity, but it felt like I was preaching to the choir. Like I meet, I just hang out with some of you for five minutes. I'm like, who's pastoring who right now? This is amazing. So this church is very mature, and, and, and I think that's God's doing over the last couple years. So we, we budgeted for more staff, and the church has been growing in maturity. But the reality is the giving has never quite matched to sustain the staff. Because running a church is always about projections. It's like, here's what we see God might be doing. And then, and then you adjust in real time. So if you remember last December, how many of you here last December? Part of the church, whatever, hanging out, cool. Well, wow, there's all new people, I guess. So how many, how many good, way more people were here uh, in December. So if you remember, we called this whole church to increase in giving to help us move forward in a healthy way as a church. And for about, for about six to eight weeks, there was a significant increase, which we say, thank you. Like, it was amazing, that helped a ton. And then it went back to normal. So we called to consistent giving, it was about eight weeks of giving, and it went back to normal. So here's a graph from my, for my mind, I needed it really simple, of what our giving has been like since last December. Um, the blue line is our budget. So that's what we need to function in a sustainable way around here, about 125,000 a month, in order not to keep digging into reserves. And the purple line is how we've been giving. See the January bump? You guys responded to the call, well done. And then, so thank you, and then it went back to normal. So every month we're under, we're digging into reserves. And so our leadership, board of directors and elder team, is now adapting by laying off two staff roles this month. And you guys, I just wanna say personally, this is a first for me, like, like layoffs, like managing a team that executes layoffs. Like, I'm like an artist. I'm like a worship leader, you know? So this, is, this, this week was, was uh, kind of sleepless and very sleepless. And, and it's just a first for me. But the reality is, if we don't restructure staff roles and and if we don't increase in giving, then our reserves would be just gone by July. Um, So I know right now the immediate question is, well, Evan, who's getting laid off? I love this leadership team. I love the pastors and the staff. Who's getting laid off? And I want to say we don't have names to share right now because we're still getting the back-end processes ironed out. We also want to respect the privacy and the processing of the individuals, and we'll probably let you know who these people are in the weekly email that goes out every Wednesday. So this Wednesday, we'll celebrate them in the email uh, and, and so right now, here's the call. We would love for you to consider really leaning in with your giving consistently right now. So we need to immediately increase in giving in order to get safe, like well into budget land, ideally by another 24 grand a month, consistently. And just to be clear, this like giving more right now will not bring those two staff back but it will do two really important things. It'll let us send them really well while also building up our reserves to carry us through the summer because the summer is always like really low like by far the lowest time around here. Uh, everybody goes on vacation or whatever or forgets to give. I don't know what it is but uh, simply put, simply put here it is for my, for my like non-financial brain. Here's, here's the simple reality and it's kind of kind of cool when you put it this way. If everyone who walks in these doors on Sunday were to give an additional 30 bucks a month, we'd be there, like done, like like really thriving. Um, And so the simple question, and I'm not asking for like a manipulative nod or anything, but can we lean into this? Can we lean into this? And since I believe that it's really important for leaders to lead the way with skin in the game, as the leaders go, so goes the church. I just want you to know how the Wickham household, how, how Sandy and I are leaning into this. As of January, our family has increased the amount we're personally giving by 30%. So take the amount we were giving and just go 30% more than that. And that's what we're committed to in, in perpetuity for, as we move forward. And other staff members are coming up to me and elders and say, hey, I'm doing the same. Like, we're in this. We believe in what God is doing here. And uh, that's why. Why are we doing this? Why are the Wickhams? You, we get paid by the church and then we're giving it back. Like, what is that? <laughs> um, ultimately, it's because we believe in what God is doing here. Like, we believe in the mission of this church with our, in our bones, Like, the baptism tank is open today. There are five people signed up to be baptized at this gathering alone. (laughs) CJ got baptized at the 8 a.m., five more being baptized. And then whoever else hasn't yet been baptized, join the family of Jesus. You guys, we believe in the mission of this church, that we're called to baptize and teach people to follow Jesus faithfully in 21st century San Diego. And, and I, not only do I believe the idea, I, be, I see us doing it, like we're doing this thing. And that's flowing out into our justice partnerships and Jesus is saving and healing people through this church, through you. And, and, and we also plant really healthy church plants that have all the money and people that they need to succeed. That's something that we do. We planted Dan and Alexis Braga in 2018 and their church, neighbor's church, they meet in Uptown SD, that, that they're, they're the beautiful little community that's thriving and that's the fruit of God's mission through you, I believe in that mission, with my whole, my, my whole human self, I believe in that mission and looking to the immediate future, we have, we have embedded church planters in the pipeline to plant churches, both the Enos family and the Wade family have major steps of faith, they're taking very soon, and more on some of this in a couple weeks, we're going to let you know and we want to help we want to set them up well to plant in a healthy way. So that's why the Wickham household is leading in more this year, uh, reg- consistent giving from, from us this year. It's because we believe in the missional endeavors of this church. Jesus' missional endeavors needed funding. Did you know this? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, shows us that Jesus had a giving base, it names a bunch of women who had means who funded Jesus' mission. Uh, he received funds and he budgeted for preaching trips and healing trips and the Jesus, whatever Jesus stuff he did for three years. He like received a giving base and budgeted and did his Jesus thing. Um, so every mission needs financial backing and we have a very clear mission here which means we have very real financial needs. Um, so, okay. So see, see how this still feels like a financial update but it's like morphed into a sermon already. You see that? That's intentional. I'm trying to do that on purpose because I'm trying to teach you that part of what it means to be a true church community is to talk about money. Uh, I'm intentionally teaching you this right now. And, and so here's the text, Second Corinthians 8. How many of you are reading along in bread? Show hands if you want. So we have this bread reading. This week, we hit Second Corinthians, Corinthians 8 and 9. You guys, do you know what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is? It just so happens we're there this week. It's two straight chapters of Paul asking the Corinthian church to give beyond what they think they're capable of. And and to do it cheerfully and expect the Lord to supply all their need and grow their soul. Just look at this language. Here it is, 2 Corinthians 8. Here's uh, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And Paul goes on for two chapters. And I mean, there's no sign that Paul's like embarrassed about clearly calling believers to give generously to their local church. You know, that's not like me, like uh, The Bible's not, I'm shy about this, that's just my family of origin, I'll talk about that in a second. The Bible's not shy, (laughs) remotely about calling believers to give generously. So if you're new here, I just want to acknowledge this is a kind of a funky Sunday to come to this church for the first time. We don't normally pivot. We don't normally pivot and talk about this. We normally go through books of the Bible, Jonah 1 was today, but here we're doing real talk as a family, like family update stuff, because that's what the families, healthy, healthy families do. Um, so I want to base this sermon on two clear statements. And then we'll end by coming to the table where God gave himself generously for us through his son. Uh, so, so statement number one, here it is. As your elder team, we want to own that we have undercommunicated the importance of giving to your church. As inseparable from your discipleship to Jesus. And honestly, I own the lion's share of that. I own that I've undercommunicated giving as part of your discipleship, because I'm your primary teaching pastor. And we have that giving liturgy, you know, that we pray, I'm determined to increase in generosity until it can be said, you know, we, we pray that. But routine liturgy without like the heartbeat and the why can become white noise and really lose its power in our lives, and that's tragic when it comes to the Christian call. funding God's mission through his family. So so speaking just personally, I'm going to be vulnerable more. I'm going to, I believe leading with vulnerability is the only way to lead in a healthy way. So there's a lot of vulnerability in this sermon. Speaking personally, why have I, Evan Wickham, under communicated about money here? Like I said, part of it is my family of origin. Like I grew up in a pastor's home where we were paid at or below the poverty line by a megachurch, and no one ever talked about money or how much pay was unfair or whatever or what was happening with the church's money. It was just trust God and keep serving six days a week or whatever. And um, that's my family of origin. And growing up as a pastor's kid where no one really talked about money and then combined with all the wild TV preachers that were very fine with asking for everybody's money in the world, um, I didn't want to look like the TV guys. And so, but here's the problem. So, I don't like asking my church to give because of that trauma. But I have to keep reminding myself that's my trauma. That's what Jesus is calling me to grow and heal from. The reality is giving to your church. This is, this hit me. This is hitting me this year. (laughs) Giving to your church is an essential part of your formation as a Christian, becoming like Jesus. That's discipleship. And so, it turns out, as a pastor, your discipleship is like a really big part of my job, and so if I'm afraid to call you to be like Jesus in this area, I'm not doing my job. That's really hitting me, like, which means i got to get over myself and teach you to mature in funding the mission of this church, right? So we just finished a Colossians series. The whole point of the letter is that Paul wants the church to mature full circle, 360, Maturity in Christ. Which brings me to statement number two, okay? So we've under communicated it. And then statement number two, we are committed to normalizing the practice of sacrificial giving for everyone in this church. We wanna normalize talking about this. And normalize 100% participation in this. That's just the expectation, you guys. That's, That's the celebration around here. In fact, it was so normal in the early church You see statements like Acts 2, where it's like all the believers shared everything in common so that no one had a need. In Acts chapter 4, everyone shared everything they had freely. And and you guys, we don't even have time to talk about all the times in the New Testament, where Paul just comes right out and says, hey, I need ministry partners. I need teachers over here in Crete. I need leaders over here in Ephesus. I need givers over here. I need you to bring me clothing. I need you to bring me scrolls. I need, you, I need this. All, so many times, Paul's like, send it over. For him, worship singing and Bible teaching is just as normalized as sacrificial giving, as part of worship. For, ever, for everyone, no one's exempt. There's no difference for Paul. And so... Um, Let's just face it, we like we talk about maturity a lot and in, in this church. And again, there's so many mature people here. It's kind of beautiful, like wildly beautiful. Um, but we talk about maturity a lot in terms of like spiritual formation, you know? We love spiritual formation. And churches like ours, we love emotional health and like silence and stillness and well-being practices and as all of those things which I love them and we put that all under practicing the way of Jesus because these are things Jesus did he would be silent and still on sabbath but talking with several other pastors of churches like ours like urban city centers love spiritual formation similarly love you know theological depth and holy spirit ministry you know churches like ours the consensus is that compared to the average Pentecostal or Bible church in town, churches like ours give significantly less across the board for whatever reason. We don't know exactly why. It's probably a lot of reasons. But one thing is certain, all the focus on spiritual formation doesn't necessarily lead to financial formation. You know, I'll say that again. All this, all our focus, for all our focus on practicing the way of Jesus, that doesn't necessarily result in practicing financial formation in the way of Jesus it's that's just what we're experiencing and again this is partly on me as a prime the maybe primary leader of this church along with Sandy like this is part this I'm you hear my voice a lot so you should be hearing this but let's be honest it's on me but it's also on just all of us we're Americans which means we worship independence and really don't like being told to do with our stuff so uh, but Jesus and Paul they just don't have that sensitivity The New Testament has zero problem telling Jesus followers what to do with their money, and it's always all believers are to give generously and sacrificially to their local church, period. That's the New Testament expectation. And so I just want to, like, preempt questions, because I have them. I grew up in church. I know all the Bible verses on tithing and all that. So I'm like, yeah, but... So I feel that. I feel this. At this point, the question comes up, but, Evan, are Christians really commanded to, like, tithe? Like, tithing at 10%? Like, is that 10% of my income? Is that a, I'm not a really good Christian unless I do that. And I just want st- to answer that first with my personal, my transparent answer. In our household, the answer to that is absolutely yes. 10%, 100%. That's just our, that's the Wickham household. That's what we do, without a doubt. Our family has virtually always given 10% of what comes in, to our church, uh, whatever church we're a part of, and yes, it's been a, it's a sacrifice, you guys. You know why? For us, it's interesting because for tw- last twenty three years, we've we've been paid by the church, and so it's weird to go. You just gave me a paycheck, and here's ten percent back. It feels weird, here it is. Why don't you just pay me what I should have, and like we'll call it even, like or whatever. But uh, but then I'd lose, I'd lose the act of Jesus. I'd lose the giving. So so. Ten percent has been non-negotiable for us, but it's, 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 our, but it's our starting point for, for practicing generosity. Um, of course, there are moments when the Holy Spirit leads us to give special gifts anonymously to people, or when we hear about a need in the church, or to give a Christmas donation to charity or whatever, and God has always been faithful to provide for us in ways like we can't even count. Um, so that's the personal answer. And I realize at this point, if you're like Bible savvy and you have like your theological arguments, I get that. You're probably like, "Oh yeah, Evan, that's great personal conviction for you." But it's but the New Testament doesn't command ten percent. That was an Old Testament tithing law, to which I simply respond, "You're totally right. That, you're right. Absolutely, tithing is not a biblical command for Christians. Totally, the tithe is an old covenant command for Israel in the Old Testament." And as Christians, we're no longer under that Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant now, where there's no target or limit goal for giving to your church. You're right. But you guys, I got to ask, if we're going to go that route, have you read the New Testament lately? Like, my goodness, the New Testament takes the Old Covenant tithe command and raises the stakes dramatically. It's not about 10% anymore. Now it's about giving more than you think you can afford as the new family of Jesus empowered by the Spirit to joyfully give. to Like, cheerful and sacrificial, which is an oxymoron without the Holy Spirit, without the Kingdom of God. How can I give cheerfully what I don't afford? No, the Spirit gives that capacity. That's the biblical teaching on giving to the church as the new family of Jesus. It's literally everywhere in the New Testament. You know, starting with the widow in the temple, you know that story? There's a a poor widow who has two copper coins, and she's in the temple giving two coins to Yahweh, her God, and Jesus is like, holy smoke, disciples, you guys, bro, look at this. And they're like, what? That's nothing. He's like, no, that's everything. She's giving everything she has. And Jesus is moved. Jesus is moved. And then starting with that moment, all the way to Paul's letters circulating through the churches in the spirit of Jesus saying, come on, you guys, let's do like Jesus did, who gave himself all of himself from the riches of heaven for the poverty of earth so that we might join him in the kingdom. So, yeah, under the old covenant, 10% for sure, but the new covenant raises the stakes more than you think you can afford empowered by the spirit with sacrifice and joy. And so maybe at this point, the pushback, I feel this again. I'm not just, I'm not just dunking on arguments right now. I feel these things. Uh, maybe the pushback is like, but Evan, I do give generously. I just choose to give to the nonprofit of my choice. And I love that. Like, I do, I do that. Like, I'm a huge fan. I get that. But listen, if that's why you don't give primarily and sacrificially to your church, then I have a biblical principle for you. Here it is. A generous church is generous to people in the church. I'll read that again because it might seem too simplistic. A generous church is generous to people in the church. And at first you might be like, duh, of course. But no, not of course. Not in a nonprofit culture like ours. Don't get me wrong. Again, I love nonprofits, but here it is. Look at Galatians six. Look at this thing Paul says. He, he's like, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to the, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see that? Especially to the family of believers. But I feel torn between the church and that great cause especially to the family of believers. So I just want to address something here. I don't know if it's an elephant in the room or what, but it's definitely a tension that I feel all the time. It's a tension. And it's this question of, should I give to my church or should I give to my nonprofit of choice? And again, I want to say I love nonprofits. Our church gives tons of money to nonprofits. 10% 10% plus of every dollar goes to church planting and nonprofits. You can see the list of them on our website. Sandy and I, we give for like two decades to nonprofits monthly, to a nonprofit doing justice work globally. There are many Park Hill members. You guys, you're here and you're like, Evan, lay off. I work for a nonprofit. Stop. I'm going to be out of a job right now. No, like I, get, I support, yes. We love um, so many of you, Park Hill members, are doing noble, amazing kingdom work through your own nonprofits. I hope you hear me. Huge fan, okay? At at the same time, I just want to speak openly. Remember, this is a family talk. And if you're new, welcome to the family talk. Here's just openly. Part of the thing we struggle with is that we want immediate significant impact. Am I right? We want return on investment. I want that ROI, baby. Give me that ROI. I want to see my thing work, you know? I want massive impact. I want photos of children f- very far away on my fridge that I've impacted. I want, I want to know that I've changed a small village. I want to know that an entire region has shifted by this one act or whatever. Honestly, that's obviously hyperbole, uh, so, uh, so that, but, but that's all wonderful. That's great stuff. Yes, I love that. I do that, truly. We should have that happen, but listen the beautiful countercultural ministry of the global church should not come at the expense of the local church. So, so again, just allow me one more blunt statement. Uh, while it's amazing to give to nonprofits around the world, every dollar you send outside to outside nonprofits is a dollar you've removed from the kingdom mission in the city God has called you to. That's just straightforward. That's just math. Um, And here's here's something to think about. In the sight of God, in the sight of God, it's just as beautiful when a small chunk of our benevolence budget is released to help that single mom in the church pay her rent. Or to help with therapy costs for couples suffering grief and loss regarding their children or to help a young dad and mom with a baby float their rent while they're in a tough season of layoffs, or to help that surviving family of the woman who died of cancer, their mother who died of cancer, help their help her surviving family cover her funeral costs. Um, everything I just said, by the way, is what your giving has been able to do this last year. Real things. And I just, again, Sandy caught up with me after the 8 a.m. I didn't mention this, but. Sandy's life, her life story, is a testimony to this. She, she went through just incredible times of need. Her, her parents, you know, were laid off from their jobs, like many parents in the 80s during the huge recession in 1980 when there was just jobs cut everywhere. And they were Christians following Jesus with no income, in a house, with a mortgage, and two, three, four, two, three children or something. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how many were alive at that time. I don't know what year it was. It had to be three at the time because the youngest wasn't born in the 80s maybe. That's why I was, that's why I was doubting. <laughs> Sandy's one of how many? <laughs> but her parents would sit her down and say, hey, we have nothing and God will provide. And we're going to give what we have a tenth or whatever. And, and they would give out of negative, <laughs> out of what they could literally, literally could not afford. And, lo and behold, month after month, knock on the door, the pastor of the church comes by and says, here's something from the church. Spirit spoke to our church that this goes to you, and here you go, and it's exactly what they needed. And it's happened on Christmas, it happened in the summer, it happened in different times. And, and the parents would sit down with Sandy and say, look what Jesus has done. Look where in the Bible it says that God will supply your need. Look, look when he does what he says he will do, we will celebrate as a family, that's who we are. That's who we are as a family. And, and what happened is uh, a deep faith and a deep trust and a deep love for the church. This is what we want to pass on. This kind of, what Paul wants us to catch a vision for is what we want to give each other. This is what God does. We want to give it to our children. And if we don't have biological children, we want to give it to the kids in the church around us. This is what God does. Let me tell the story. And so um, I, know, I know these little, you know, these little acts of generosity, how the church takes care of each other, the normal benevolence. I know it's not spectacular. You don't put a picture of that on your fridge. Maybe you do. But there's something beautiful, isn't there, about just telling the story of God's faithfulness in your community and saying, yes, man, my church family stepped in and they helped me. Hey, my friends, God just met my need in a way that I could not have calculated. Praise God. Look what God did. As we act generously, these stories begin to proliferate throughout the church. This is the church as a model community for the world. And I just want to give you a vision for this today. Let's follow Paul's call and give first to the needs of the people of God, and then let's generously bless other people as well outside the church. And I get it. I get this trend today where it's like, I don't want to give to the church, like just just transfer my funds to some bank account like that'll just go to pay a teacher somewhere like i don't want to give to like programs and like paying pastors to do ministry you know the ministry that supports me and nurtures me and networks with the broader church and encourages other pastors across the city and does church plans i don't want to pay for all that i just want impact you know sarcasm that was fun hopefully we know each other that's fun You guys, I get, I'm, I'm speaking with you. I know what that feels like. And I think we have to balance both. Yes, let's give generously to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And this is what you see. In, you look at the New Testament. Acts 4. You know what happens in Acts 4? The very first church. Acts 4, 34. There were some people that would sell like their house or their land And then with that money, they would come to the apostles. They would literally take these large financial gifts, and they would actually drop the gift at the apostles' feet, quote. Drop the gift at the apostles' feet, and they actually trusted, like, hey, guys, we realize You leaders are sort of like a central hub for the actual needs of this church community. And because I don't want a false power dynamic, I don't want to pretend that I know the needs better than you. I don't want a false power dynamic. So I'm actually willing to trust that the leadership is actually following Jesus. And I'm sure I'll be able to follow up where this gift is going. I'm sure the leaders are open books if I ask where the gift is going. But I just trust this gift will go where it needs to go because you guys are the more informed. You guys, this is the spirit of generosity that Jesus wants to release in this church Park Hill. So I, I just, I feel like pastorally responsible today to call us to grow in that kind of giving right now. Like I feel the weight of what Paul says to Timothy about Ephesus. It's really, it's really weighty. So it's like Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus, and the gospel comes to Ephesus. You know what happens? Ephesus is this city like San Diego, big city, wealth disparity, language disparity, multi-ethnic, multicultural, like a big city. And the gospel comes to the big city, and it makes this really awkward mix of Christians. So imagine if your community group was made of investment bankers from Wall Street and indentured slaves from ancient Greece. You know what I mean? This is, imagine that's your Park Hill community, right? So you walk in your Park Hill community, and it's like, after dinner, you're like, hey, how are you doing? And she's like, Oh, I'm just crushing the stock market right now. I'm on my way to Dubai in the morning to network. It's going to be great. I love this. I go to this spot in Dubai, stay in this hotel. I meet people. And you're like, that's awesome. And you turn to someone else and you're like, how are you doing? And the guy's like, I just finished working a 65-hour work week running electrical wire and I'm exhausted. And, And you have them all in one room and you put them all together. And you know what you get? A challenging environment to pastor a church. And I feel that here. I feel that diversity. It's beautiful and challenging. And Paul tells Timothy, you're in that spot. So pastor them. Pastor them, do this, say this. Tell them to do that. And then he gets to the end of the letter and he talks about what to do with money. And he's it's strong. It's strong words. Look what he says. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, if you're willing to share, then what happens? In this way they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's more than a 401k. So that they may take hold of life that's truly life. This is what Paul is saying. This is literally a command for people with disposable income, the rich according to this world. That's like most of us, if not all of us in the room, maybe most of us, command those who are rich in this present world compared to the rest of the world to give away their money to the rest of the church. So, so I, Evan Wickham, like pastor, teaching pastor, Park Hill, I feel pastorally responsible to command this church into greater generosity right now and to keep discipling our community into this. Because listen, this is about way more than your money. It's about margin. It's about your priorities. It's about your loves. It's about your attention. And this is one of the areas the scripture hits on repeatedly that our discipleship to Jesus and how we interact with finances can't separate the two. You can't separate. The scriptures talk about that connection, following Jesus and finances, as much or more than any other spiritual practice. So the elders of Park Hill Church are convinced this conversation is central to what it means to practice the way of Jesus in our city. So so now we're going to start landing the plane. How do we do this? Land the plane. Again, I acknowledge this is a pivot day. You're expecting, you know, Jonah and a fish. So... um, (laughs) So here's what I wanna say right now. One of the things I've learned growing up around church and being a pastor's kid is this. And I'll wait for the plane. If a church has a vision of guilting people rather than teaching people to give out of grace, then you actually don't have a culture of generosity. You just have a culture of shame. It's very simply put, and that we've, many of us have experienced that. Giving out of shame asks the question, how much do I have to give so I don't feel bad anymore? And I'm not interested in that question remotely. Giving under grace is very different. Giving under grace asks, because of what Jesus has done in my life, how can I steward what God has given me? Creativity and joy. That is the kind of culture we're after here. So, I'm gonna finish with just three very practical thoughts. And to, I just wanna take this moment before I do that to alleviate guilt. Just alleviate any guilt in the room. Get it away. I just want us to build a culture of grace. And to do that, here's a verse from Philippians, so important. So important that we get this. Paul writes this. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now check this out. Look at this next verse. Not that I desire your gifts... No guilt. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Okay, okay, that's Paul's vision. He has this passion that for, for when you give, when there's generosity and partnership in the gospel, you know what happens? God does something inside you that's connected to giving, and, and that's what I want to happen in you. He goes on, look at this last chunk from this text. He says, I've received full payment. He's like, I don't need what you're giving. Like, my paycheck doesn't go up if you give, you know. I received full payment and have more than enough. I'm, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent. And look at this language right here. The gifts, they're a fragrant offering. Your gifts are worship. They're an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and then my god will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in christ jesus to our god and father be glory forever and ever amen so so i want you to see verse 19 cuz that gets read wrong verse 19 gets read out of context like all the time we just apply it to like if you're if you don't have money then god will give you money or gener- generally if you're poor then god will stop your poverty but that's not the context of this verse he will provide for the poor But that's not the context of this verse. The context of this verse is if you are worried that you can't be generous because you might not have enough, trust me, God will meet your needs as you stretch your character to be generous. This is quite literally what Paul is saying here. That's the context of this verse. His vision is, I want you to receive the character benefits, the formative power of God in your heart that comes when you give generously more than you think you can. I want you to get that character formation. He's like, I want you to know if you're worried, if that worries you, if you're like, I don't know if I can, well, God will meet your needs as you extend yourself to be generous. You guys, all this is to get rid of the guilt. <laughs> it's not about guilt. Zero. That's not the culture we want to create here. We want a grace-driven church, not a guilt-driven one. This, I mean, that sounds good, right? Grace-driven, not guilt-driven. So guilt alleviated. Three, where do we go from here? We finish with three practical thoughts and then like 5 people are going to be baptized. Come on. And then we're, but we're going to come to the table and then we're going to celebrate the mission of this church happening through baptism and conversion. So so where do we go? Three final thoughts. Number 1. Right now I just invite you to honestly evaluate what's going on inside your heart. Just become aware of your heart. Why? Because anytime if you're like me, anytime I hear preaching from the Bible and I feel myself want to be pushing back on it like yeah but yeah but yeah but I have to ask myself what what am I actually pushing back on right now just be aware of that like what am I actually pushing back on now it could be that they're teaching heresy and I should leave you know I'm pushing back on actual bad teaching but could it could also be that I have some faulty thinking in my mind or my heart that's part of a deeper issue God wants to deal with in me And so number one, honestly evaluate your heart right now. Just keep that in mind from the start. And then number two, huge line, bring God into your finances wherever you are. I just invite you into that. Like no matter where you're at financially right now, do you know God is a God of grace? No matter where you're at, no matter what you can or can't afford, God is a God of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe for you, wherever you are, bring God in. Maybe for you, that means simply just revisiting your budget. Spring cleaning, financial spring, just revisit your budget. I told you it would be practical. Three practical thoughts. Like revisit your budget to figure out what would it actually look like? What would it take to structure my finances around 10%? What would actually have to give and take, push and pull, to give 10% to my local church, my church family first and foremost? What would that look like? And now some of you in the room are, like, doing really well financially right now. And you're like, I've been budgeting since I was nine. And I love it. It gives me life. And, and to which I say, great, the rest of us could use your help. That would be awesome. There are people, one, another guy after the 8 a.m. said, I'm one of those guys. I love, I'm unfortunately getting huge pleasure from making budgets for other people. So, like, for free, I'll do it for anyone. There's people in our church that would love to help just sit with you for an hour for free and help you just see where you're at. Our church wants to help It's each other. Um, or others of you are in the room, you're like, man, I'm 30000 in credit debt and 100000 in student loans, and I don't even know. And either way, here's a phrase I want to leave you with today. Bring God into your finances wherever you are. Wherever you are. No matter where you're at financially, God, desires to step in and gently lead you into his vision of life to the full. Life that is full. And maybe you're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know where to start. So overwhelming. Listen, there's great options. I, I mentioned people in the church, but they're, like, you can get on the phone with Christian credit counselors. They've helped 300,000 people get out of debt. And you could literally have one conversation just to get your bearings for free so that you can settle into a rhythm of godly generosity whatever it means for you bring god into your finances i just pastorally encourage all of us to do that whatever that looks like and then finally three again i told you to be practical automate your priorities you cannot rely on willpower you are human we are human so the wickham family has autopay set up for the first first of every month so may 1st and went out I didn't even think about it until I saw it. I'm like, oh, yeah, amen. God bless the church. So we know. Like, literally, here's why. We know every month our giving will go to the church. Most of us are busy and overwhelmed. And honestly, we have the best intentions, and follow-through doesn't always match our intentions. So listen, we live in an incredible time in human history. Why not automate your valued giving so it never becomes a moment of temptation between obeying or disobeying? You can just say, hey, I've automated the priorities of my life into biblical obedience. So that's why we offer that push-pay thing. It's what our family does. And if things change financially for us, it's very easy to change, decrease or increase the amount we give to our church. And honestly speaking, as a leader who helps oversee the budget that I showed you, um, when people give in an automated basis, it actually really helps leadership be better financial stewards because we can plan and actually track and get a better picture. Um, when giving is sporadic, it's kind of like trying to play Russian roulette a little bit with the church budget. Nobody wants that. So, um, so here it is. There it is. Honestly evaluate your heart. How am I responding right now? What am I responding to? Is it the spirit? Is it, is it family of origin stuff? What is it? And then bring God into your finances wherever you're at. And then what would it look like to automate your priorities? You guys, very practical discipleship moment for our church. If you are a follower of Christ... And you receive Christian teaching here. Or you've been following the teachings on the podcast. You're listening on the podcast right now. Or you worship here. Or you engage in community. You, you actually, you, you take us up on the opportunities we give. Uh, if you encounter Christ through the bread and cup, is, if this is the place you know you can reach out and get help from a pastor who regularly prays for your flourishing as a child of God, then this is where God is calling you to give. Sacrificially, joyfully, trusting that what Jesus said is true about the church. That on this rock, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and not even the gates of hell will stand against it. And remember, there's no spiritual formation without financial formation. So let's lean into this. Let's grow in our giving to the church together as a church. And so to bring us to communion and baptism, so we're going to do communion now, which is where God gave everything so that we can receive literally the, the kingdom from him. It's, this is the basis for it. So to lead us there, uh, I'm going I'm to read over you 2 Corinthians 2.9. This comes from the giving passage Paul gives Corinthians. This is his basis this is, this is his basis. This is Paul's why. Why give? Here's why. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you through his poverty, might become rich. This is our why. And and this is our foundation for actually everything, our whole life response, not just our money, you guys. It's so much bigger than that. So, um, just to finish, I'm gonna have us stand as Carter and Rebecca come up. Let's all stand together. And notice we did not say the giving liturgy, because I wanted to save it till the end so so it's packed full of meaning. Just chock full of intentionality. And we can speak this out as our desired life together. So can we pray this prayer that we pray all the time, but with a fresh commitment? Holy Father, there's nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts, and serve Him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the Word, whose hearts and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I'm determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Amen. Let's live that out, church. And so right now, I'm going to open up the waters of baptism. That means whoever signed up to be baptized, come to your right, my left, And meet some of the leaders by the steps of the tank and we'll get you in line and we'll baptize you and cheer for you after communion the rest of us this is where we come to the table so all around the room there's tables with bread and cup feel free to receive those now come to the table hear Christ's words spoken over you bring the bread and cup back to your seat and hold on to it and we'll all eat and drink and then celebrate baptisms